episode 36 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. My sincere apologies, but due to ill health, I lost my voice for the past few weeks and have therefore been unable to record any episodes with my guests. However, I have put together a special episode containing some of the funny moving stories from the early days of the podcast. So, pour yourself a well-deserved beverage, alcoholic for this time of the year, sit back and enjoy the following 18 funny moving stories. Enjoy. Our first funny moving story is regarding a cat and comes from episode two, which features Nigel Shaw from Specialised Movers. One of the funniest ones we ever did, I'll never forget, it was a big mansion and there was this old spinster and her pride was the cat. And this cat was a, it was a tortoiseshell cat and I was on it with a guy called Alan Warship, good friend of mine. He's retired now and, um, and Bill Cowley from Sheffield. And we went into the house and the woman made us a coffee. She said, the cat's a little bit poorly and uh, I'm, I'm seeing its last days out. The cat will probably get all my money as well. I'll be giving it to the cat's home and everything. And Alan walked into the house and trod on the cat and killed it. <laughs> so the cat had got a tumour on its brain and it was dead on the floor. And we were all stood around here looking at this dead cat while the woman was in the other room. We said, what are we going to do with it? So we all decided we'll take it upstairs and put it between two boxes. So we stood the dead cat up between these two pigments boxes at the top of the stairs. And the woman came, seen the cat upstairs, but it was dead. She thought it was alive. And then we brought it to the bottom of the stairs until it fell downstairs. And, and the woman come in, she was distraught. Says, well, it probably had a good ending and everything else. And uh, it had got a brain tumour and so on. So I don't know whether we did it a favour or whatever. And we still got a tip for the job anyway. <laughs> I can still remember it to this day, looking at the cat between the two boxes from the bottom of the stairs, and the woman thought it was still alive. Next up is Anthony Groves from DC Groves and Son, who features on episode three with his wife, Karen. Some years ago, it was when my father was alive and I was in my late teens, and we were moving a, uh, a couple from a local address to a, a property in Tunbridge Wells and all was going okay. It was a standard size move, probably 15, 1600 cube maybe. And uh, we got to the unloading address and the, the house they were moving into was needed quite a lot of doing up and was a house on four stories. You had a sort of split level garden so i.e the basement was actually at garden level and then where we went in in the front was technically ground but actually then was probably first floor and all was going all right uh, there was me and my father and one of my father's friends because in those days you know if you wanted someone extra it would be a friend usually to come and help and he was a gentleman in his latter years he'd already retired so he was 65 plus and anyway, we, we were unloading everything. And our client had said to my father, well, look, I haven't got a shed or a garage or anything. And I know I've got quite a lot of outside stuff, but I own that piece of ground opposite this house, that lay-by there where a car is supposed to park. He said, so could you make sure that it's all stacked there very tidily and I've got a tarpaulin sheet we can 
put everything on and then bring it over the top and tie it down so it looks okay. No problem, my father said, that's absolutely fine. And my father was very meticulous, very precise, and loved to sort of have things neat and tidy. So we would bring it out to him and he was stacking it all up in outside on this tarpaulin. And then all of a sudden, next door neighbor came out. And I mean, for the, I'm not gonna repeat the language that was used, but in essence, he told the guy that he couldn't put his stuff there. He didn't call it stuff and he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't so polite as that, but he told him he couldn't put his stuff there. And our client just looked at him and just told him to pee off. It's the first word he'd said to his neighbor. And I've looked at my father and we've looked at each other and gone, oh my God, what is, what is going on here? The next door neighbor and our client suddenly come up face to face and started having fisticuffs. And Colin, they were in their late 70s. They weren't oh, young dear. men. And they start, and I couldn't believe my eyes. But what was even worse is that my dad's friend who was helping us out, who was roughly of a similar age as these two gentlemen, was egging them on. Was, telling, <laughs> was actually telling our client to put one on him. <laughs> and it actually got to the point where it was so funny, if you'd have seen it, these two guys with their fists up, not really landing a punch at all, but blowing heavily because one had a heart condition and the other one had asthma. Oh my God, in the end, I had to get in between them both. I say I was probably barely 18, getting the middle of both of them to separate them and give them both a good telling off and tell them to go away. It, honestly, <laughs> it, was, it was the funniest thing uh, to this day that I, I, when as soon as you said, have you got a funny story? I thought I've got to tell that one because all the, yes, with these things, you had to be there. But, oh, my God, to see these two guys fighting was just, or pretend fighting, was just hilarious. From episode four is a short story from Jeff Archer of PW Archer & Son regarding Steve. Ashes, I remember coming across someone's ashes. I tripped over a box on a house survey. A, a, no. And I didn't know what it was. I walked in. Just in, as you're walking round with your clipboard, it was years ago. And I, I tripped over. And she said, are you all right? And I says, yeah. He, I says, I don't know what I did. She says, oh, don't worry. It's only Steve. <laughs> and I, what? And I, I thought, oh, look for a cat, don't you? A cat or a dog. And then on oh. the floor, she says, oh, I don't know what to do with him. I use him as a doorstop. <laughs> yeah. Poor old Steve. Yeah, and it, and it's just things like that. You just... It took until episode 5 until we got a story regarding a sex toy, and no real surprise that it came from Mr. Crate Hire himself, Paul Bullock of PHST Crate. Okay, I've got one from when I, when I first started um, with, with Gilkspur Bullens and their GB Crate Hire, they decided that I really needed to understand how the removal site happened. So for the first week, they put me out on a van with a lovely old chap called Roy Cowdell, who, you know, other people in the industry might remember him, but he was a wonderful old, old boy. Could double up Father Christmas. He had white hair and a white beard and all this kind of thing. But I was out with him on one particular household move, 
and we're carrying boxes up and down and uh, and all this kind of thing get, getting on famously with the lady of the house all of a sudden roy comes down the stairs banging something on his leg saying where's where's the lady where's the lady and i sort of pointed towards the kitchen and he walked past me and walked into the kitchen and i i, I followed him in and this thing, he's banging on his leg. And he said to her, excuse me, madam. He said, I found your torch under the bed, but I think it needs new batteries. It's not working. <laughs> and she looked down at it and I looked down at it. And it was a vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, there, there, there was quite, there, there was some initial embarrassment and then everybody burst out laughing. And then, you know, we just, she was wonderful about it. The whole thing. She thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and the move went smoothly, and we all got a nice tip at the end of the day. So, <laughs> hopefully, not from the vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> from episode six, BAR Director General Ian Studd falls in love with a vision of loveliness, Her Royal Highness Princess Diana. Yeah, all good times. Uh, and then um, I, I also embarrassed myself somewhat on one occasion when I was with um a well i didn't think i embarrassed myself but it, it became that uh we were doing a move for the royal household and we were moving prince charles's office from buckingham palace to st james's and the lord chamberlain's office was going the other way and so we were on site there for probably two weeks all in all and we were we were being accommodated in the in the barracks in the guards barracks um we were having our meals and so on in the uh, in the staff quarters at the palaces and it, yeah you know just terrific experience but at the outset of this particular project we'd had a briefing because we weren't the only ones there there were you know there were um, other tradesmen doing other things and we'd all been gathered into this hall and we'd been given a briefing you know if you see this person you must talk to him or you must address him as your majesty or your royal highness or, or, or whatever it might be and we'd all been told that we, we should keep any conversation down to no more or no less than that and shouldn't attempt to engage beyond that. Well, uh, on one particular day, uh, one of the other chaps and I were taking a filing cabinet up the stairs in St. James's Palace. And this, this vision of loveliness came down the staircase the other way, which was Princess Diana, just very casually dressed. And she was an absolute delight. So the filing cabinet went down and we just stood there having a chat. And there was none of this, you know, your highness or whatever. It was really, you know, how's it going, boys? Are you OK? And all this kind of stuff. And um, to say to say the powers that be were beside themselves with envy because we'd had this chat and they hadn't was, was, was quite amusing. But I made the mistake of saying very publicly, I think I'm in love. <laughs> she was gorgeous. She was absolutely gorgeous. And um, we had an in-house magazine at Abel's at the time, which I used to contribute to now and again. But but in the next edition appeared this poem, an ode from a study to a princess. And this <laughs> thing just gathered a momentum all of its own. So there was this, you know, this this dialogue going on or this supposed dialogue going on between me and Princess Diana all the time. And then, of course, as things transpired and, and things started to go wrong for her and uh, the Prince of Wales, you know, I would be getting questioned where saying, oh, have you got anything to do with this study? <laughs> no, unfortunately, unfortunately not. What a lovely story that is. Yeah. From episode eight, Ian Palmer of White & Co discovers that not all wood floats. Well, you know, a lot of people say they've got lots of funny moving stories. 
but the truth is not too many of them are repeatable. One <laughs> I was thinking about happened when uh, I was about 17. And for anyone who knows the South Hams area of Devon, uh, there's two villages, Newton Ferrers and Nos Mayo, separated by the River Yelm and a creek. And we were <laughs> moving somewhere from very awkward access to Nos Mayo. And we had to access the new house in Nos Mayo by rowing boats. And I was helping to row the boat over and balanced across the middle of the rowing boat. We had a large sideboard and I let it slip. <laughs> uh, There's an insurance claim. And it sank. That was... Oh, no. Yeah, it, I just thought wood would float and it just went down and down. Uh, Did they ever get it back? No, no. It, I mean, the customer was initially devastated. <laughs> but, I mean, I, it was in, entirely my fault. You know, I, I was just too busy sort of looking at the scenery. It's a really picturesque place. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that knows this gentleman well knows that he truly milked this situation. Next up is Greg Wildman of Basil Fry & Co from episode 9. Yeah, no, I do have a funny story. And it revolves around my own move in 2005. And I, I thought at the time, well, I'm, I'm going to get someone who I've worked for for two, two years at least to, to do my house move for me. So I uh, had developed and still am good friends with this remover who is based in Essex and always have good levels of banter between us and so I said to him look can you do the move and he said yeah I'd love to what does it involve so we we had a discussion about that and he said right it's going to be a two-day move day one I'll come down and I'll do all the packing for you and you can chat to me while I'm packing and make me tea stuff like that so I said right okay that, that's fine, we'll do that. So he came down and I sort of stood there watching, you know, the, the skill involved in packing stuff like the crystal and china bits that we had. And that evening we went to the pub, had a bit of dinner and the bill came and he pushed the bill my way. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm your customer tonight. I'm your customer. You're paying the food bill, not me. Anyway, that wasn't a funny story. So we, we, arrived at the, we arrived at the property that we're moving into the next morning and we're walking up the um, driveway and he said, oh, look, Mr. Wildman, it seems like Mr. Fox has left you a moving in present. And so there it was, some fox mess in the front garden on the lawn. So I said, well, you know, obviously... That's got nothing to do with me. That's your job. You've got to remove the fox mess. You know, I, I don't get involved with that. So, you know, move, superb, everything. Yeah, three guys uh, went like a dream. About three o'clock in the afternoon. My wife, Helen, 
Greg, Greg, there's something on the carpet downstairs. So I walk downstairs into the lounge and there's this sort of mess on the, on the beige carpet in the lounge. So I did what I had to do and established that it was Fox Mess and called my client, let's just call him Matthew, and said, you know, you've got someone who's trodden Fox Mess into the beige carpet in the lounge. And he said, well, I told you to clear the, the present that Mr. Fox had left for you. And I said, well, you know, I said to you, that's not my job. That's your job. So he said, right, okay, well, we'll find out who the perpetrator is. So he lined his guys up in the hall. And he said, right, guys, lift his shoes up. They all lifted their shoes up, nothing there. And he said, right, Mr. Wildman, lift your shoe up. Let's have a look at it <laughs> in a way that only he can. And so I lifted my shoes up and, of course, it was nothing there. And I said, well, given that we're now in this situation and everyone else has had their shoes inspected, it only seems to be fair that you have yours inspected now. So he lifted his shoe up and there it was, nestling between the treads oh. of his shoe. So I said, well, look, you know, this, this is, you know, we're moving into a house. You know, you've got to clear, clean up. No, no worries. I'll deal with it. And much of the uh, mirth of some of his staff. I'll deal with it. So he set about cleaning the carpet. So I thought, right, it, the, the opportunity for banter here is just too, it's just too good. So he called me after about 20 minutes. He said, right, I've, I've cleaned it up. You can't see it at all. I said, no, what, what we have got left here, though, is a beige carpet that has been worn with a square in the middle of it that is really clean. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's no good. You know, we can't put anything over that. It's in the centre of the lounge. What, what, what are we going to do? I said, I'm going to have to think about putting in a public liability claim against you. I said, because you know, <laughs> the, whole, the whole carpet's going to be, going to have to be cleaned. And I sort of, I walked off because I thought, this, this is, this is a, a good opportunity here. I said, I'll let you know in about 20 minutes. I'll have a think about it. Went off and did something else. And 20 minutes later, he came back and he said, um, have you decided what you're going to do with the, with the carpet yet? You know, are you, you going to make a claim against us? So I said, no, I'm not. And he said, all oh, right, OK, what, what changed your mind? I said, well, the carpet fitters are coming in the morning and they're going to change your carpet. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. But... That is so evil. <laughs> <laughs> From episode 11, which features the BAR Young Movers Group Council, we have four funny moving stories. First up, Tommy McNee from Guardian Moving and Storage. Uh, I don't know how funny it would be. Uh, many years ago, we had a contract with Inland Revenue and Customs and Excise, which subsequently became HMRC, and we moved all of their filing um, all over the country. And, and we had a young apprentice with us at one time, and you know we had thousands upon thousands of, of Arctic lorries just moving thousands upon thousands of tea crates all over to huge big lorry sites which I can't really say where they are and we had a young apprentice and we told him to go down south somewhere you needed a passport to, to cross the, the border between Scotland and England and he subsequently started to panic I've not got my passport I've not got my passport so we told him he would have to hide in one of these LC3 crates and we we're going to pass kind of passport and border control 
So we had to park up in a lay-by. We took him out of his passenger seat. We put him into a tea crate and we explained to him that we're going to have to cable tie this tea crate because <laughs> someone looked in the back. It had to look like there was filing and it had to be cable tied and numbered and we had to inventory him on these tea crates. <laughs> so we, we put him in this tea crate and we, we pretended to cross the border. We then stopped in at a service and left him for 40 minutes. And we started kind of shaking the van and just making his life absolute hell for 40 minutes you know shouting where's the passports where's the passports and all and we eventually let him out after an hour to, to almost tears um which i thought were funny tears but he was so against everything that he generally thought that he was you know facing jail time he thought that he was facing you know being locked up and looking back it probably wasn't funny but at the time it was hilarious <laughs> Next up from episode 11 is Calvin Tickner from the Eurogroup. But is that funny? I mean, we've had the case of the the single housewife kind of thing whilst the, the husband's been away on duty for work and, you know, there's two, three PBO boxes which have come from the bedroom and they've been laid down outside and they've, you know, immediately started vibrating once they've been placed <laughs> down. <laughs> Bless the poor woman to her sheer kind of... Uh, embarrassment as immediately the guys know exactly what's going on <laughs> and they make it all the little bit worse this this came back to me this is feedback they made, they made it all the little bit worse by just saying don't worry we'll just say it's your toothbrush kind of thing and you know and passing on <laughs> we've, we've had that and that's probably where i would go with funny also from episode 11 is kieran malarkey from george pickerskill and sons I think it's all the little things that happen every day, which is what, which is just hilarious, which make it brilliant, make, make removals great. But uh, funny story, um, I'll, have to, I'll have to be careful with this one. Whenever other companies wanted part to hire, that I was always sent, I think they just wanted to get rid of me, to be honest. Um, but there was one company, they had like, I don't know if it was a contract for like, uh, it would move executive, like, do like executive moves for like a large bank. And they'd go up and down the country from here and um there was this uh, so one day we're packing and loading beautiful house bar swimming pool full-size snooker table on the top floor and I, i'd worked with this company quite a lot and um, knew the owner and he, and he would encourage female packers sometimes he'd even have his own mum helping out and on this particular day some customers away driver or foreman if you like his his wife's helping she's doing the packing and um We'd not we'd not seen him for ages. Um, I think I think I must have been probably right. I'll have been on the tea order. So I've gone I've got to try find him. I see what he wants. So I'm uh, I'm walking up to the top floor and um, and I put my my head through and there he is, um, the foreman driver with his wife. Um, I'll go with uh, there he is making love uh, to his wife on a full size uh, snooker table. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I had to choose uh, I had to choose what I said there very carefully. But yeah, I just I just ran down. I just ran down and told told everyone. It was mental. Oh dear, dear me. <laughs> too funny, too funny. Whenever ever gonna yeah, get the opportunity um, again, eh? I don't know what was going through the minds, but yeah. Yeah. Saw the opportunity and they seized it. <laughs> yeah. 
And last but not least from episode 11 is Dan Braddock from GB Liners, with one of my favourite funny moving stories to date. I do. There was quite a few, but I'm sure people can probably relate to this one. We did a move many, many years ago from the Cotswolds to Italy. Big, big move. A couple of, couple of large Pantechnicans went to, to Italy and we had a large statue that we had to move. Now, we looked at it for a couple of days whilst we were packing and loading and we all kept coming up with different ideas as to how we were going to do this statue. And we left it right till the end because we couldn't agree on how we were going to do it. We all had lots of different ways and, you know, each, each one would have probably have done it. But so in the end, what we decided to do is we, we led this bronze statue of a lady that had been outside so it had been weathered for you know quite a bit we led her across two sets of piano wheels and we thought perfect that's how we're going to do it this is how we're going to get it out of this gravel garden and we're going to take it to Italy this way we get it to the van we stand her up in the well and we tie her off and we think perfect she's not going anywhere and we just happened to spot that she has a black mark on her thigh. And we're all looking at each other and we're saying, did anyone see that before we let her down on the piano wheels? No, no. So we're thinking, oh no, like the piano wheels have rubbed her thigh and left her with a mark. And we were told this thing was really expensive, you know. And you might argue that lying her down across piano wheels was probably, you know, was it the best idea? But it was one of those things that we thought the more we play with it, the more we're going to damage it by, you know, it's, it's like when you put a gilt, you know, when you ask people, how are you going to deal with a gilt mirror or something? Well, we're going to wrap it and we're going to do this. And you think, no, you're just going to screw it to the back of the crate is the best thing. <laughs> so we took that approach with the bronze statue. So we think, right, OK, we think we might have rubbed it with the piano wheels. Well, let's blanket her up and we need to get going because completion day is today. So what we do is we're loading on a Friday and we're not leaving for Italy until the Monday morning. So on the Saturday morning, two of us come in, we grab the five door and we take it to a man that we know has repaired statues and metal for us before. And we say to him, we think we've done this. What can you do with it? And he says, well, I can do this and I can do that. So it's going to be 180 quid. And we said, all right, fine. So, so we, we said, can you do it at the yard? Because we need, we, you know, we can't leave you the truck and the content. Can you come to the yard with us and do it? So he says, yeah, yeah, I can come to the yard. So he comes to our yard and he removes the black mark. And we decide that we're going to pay him the 180 quid ourselves because we don't want to tell anyone we think we've rubbed this really expensive statue. And he got the mark. The mark was gone. No one was going to know about it. It was just going to cost us 180 quid. So we thought, fine, you know, it's a couple of nights of night out money between us. We just write that off and we pay the 180 quid and we get the statue repaired. A week later, we arrive in Italy to this lovely, lovely house. And the bronze statue, we're shown where it's going. It's going right in the middle of the in and out drive, looking at the house. And we think, OK, fine, well, we've got rid of the black mark. That's not a problem. Like, we put it there. We put it up on its base. And by the time this thing was on its base, it probably was 14 foot high. And uh, the customer comes out and we said, oh, is that about right? Do we need to move it? 
And the chap said, oh, she looks good. She looks good there, doesn't she? And we said, yeah, it looks perfect, sir. Brilliant spot. And he's looking. You can see he's looking at something. You're thinking, what's he looking at? And I'm looking at the thigh thinking, no, you can't see anything. He said, she had a black mark on her thigh. And we kind of looked at him. And he said, it's gone. <laughs> and we looked at each other and we said, so it was on there before. And he said, yeah, yeah, she's always had this like black mark, he said. He said, we had the gardeners in once and we think they clipped it with something. And he looked at us and he said, what? And we said, we'll be honest, we thought we did it. And he said, no, 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 it's been there years. And he said, how have you got it off? And we explained to him. And he said that we paid for it and we thought we damaged it and we were very sorry and we just wanted to put it right. And he gave us the 180 quid back. And he said, well, I've been find, trying to find someone to get that fixed for, for ages. He said, I, I couldn't find anyone. He said, so I owe you 180 quid for sorting it out for me. So, <laughs> so all this panic. And I remember it was the most uncomfortable drive to Italy thinking, oh, what have we done? Like, we've got it off, but we still feel bad that we've marked it. And is it really, you know, not noticeable and things like this? And, yeah, we get there to find out it wasn't even us. But he was over the moon. So I, I think that's one of the funniest things I remember is thinking we damaged it and we hadn't. And the chat found it quite funny that we'd gone to all this palaver over the weekend trying to get this man in the yard to fix it. And, you know, he said, God, just imagine if you did just pointed it out to me. He said, I would have told you what the problem was. That that was probably the one of the funnier ones I, I've got. Yeah. From episode 13, we have a cheeky moving story from Tony Tickner from the Eurogroup. Oh, well, well, there's been a number. (laughs) (laughs) I talked about earlier about breaking into major accounts and how long it takes to do it. We we succeeded. We had two or three corporate accounts that had asked us to open a, a small operation in Paris, which we did really purely for these three or four accounts. One of those accounts was really VIP and, and a major booker with us. And they dealt with some of the biggest blue chip companies you could think of. They booked a move with us to move a president of a really big blue chip company back from Paris to America. And and we did the normal thing. We went and surveyed the job and all the booking was done and everything. And it was this massive Parisian house. It was gorgeous. And the packers were there. They were packing over four days. And... We did this move, we thought, absolutely successfully. And I think it was three or four weeks later when the goods arrived in America, we got a call from the account saying that there was a major problem. And the president of this blue chip company called them, making a huge complaint about what had happened and that we put his wife in a very difficult position. We were due to fly out to a conference in Florida Literally the following week, so this account said, we want a face-to-face meeting at this conference. They were going to be there. And by the way, you're suspended until after this meeting. Oh, wow. So we were suspended the work. Uh, Luckily, it was only a week. Well, we got to the conference and and been there a couple of days, and it came the time that we'd set for this appointment. Luckily, we had booked a suite, so we held the meeting in our suite, so it wasn't in public. And in from this client came came the president of our 
our client, their president, the vice president, and their particular office manager, and one other employee. And they sat there and they said, right, where do we start? And we said, well, you could start by telling us what the problem was. <laughs> wow, they hadn't even told you that. No, no, no. Well, they knew because we were only a week out from what, when this problem happened. And they sat there and they said, well, when the delivery crew was unpacking the boxes, the wife was grabbing a few boxes and unpacking them herself. And she pulled out of one of the boxes, which didn't have anything else in apart from a little bit of rubbish some photographs of your packing crew well back in the home in paris they had a it was such a large house they had a a a small statue around this mini fountain of eros in the main hallway reception (laughs) and the packing crew had found an old you remember those polaroid cameras which automatically um print the picture off yeah. and you wait a couple of minutes for them to develop. <laughs> well, they decided to take a few funny pictures and one of those they decided to show their derrieres. <laughs> um, <laughs> put it in the French term. And, of course, what they thought, they'd chuck the photographs in an old rubbish box to go on their van. <laughs> but they'd actually packed it in the container. And, of course, when they told us about these photographs, the room went silent. Because <laughs> they they finished by saying and and because they'd brought the photographs, the president of this blue chip company had given it to them, and they said, "What have you got to say about them?" And the the gentleman who was running my Paris office at the time, it was dead quiet. He just looked at the photographs. He looked at them and he said, "I don't see what the problem is. They're not out of focus." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can imagine, <laughs> I'm sitting there biting my lip and thinking, this is our major account, and there's dead silent, and then suddenly the president of our client burst into laughter. <laughs> and that just broke the ice. And they decided oh, from dear. there it was just one of those things, and they, it was just hilarious how it came <laughs> out. But, yeah. But yeah, oh, talk sure. about wanting the ground to open up and swallow you. From episode 14, we have Mr. Removals himself, Robert Bartup from GB Liners, with a court case tale. I don't know if it's funny, but I think it's... I, I'm a very fair-minded and uh, generous sort of guy, as everybody knows. <laughs> never opinionated, never, um, you know, just... Hardly. Hardly ever. But occasionally we fall out with a customer who we think is trying to take advantage of us. Over my years in this industry, I have made a few visits to court as a result of disputes with customers. And this is probably 20 years ago now. We moved a chap to by Loch Ness. It came into store for 10 days, went out of store to Loch Ness. And in fairness, it wasn't the best job we'd ever done. And there was some damage and not, you know, no no dispute about that. And we put young Stuart Ash on a plane to Glasgow. This was just after the Wright brothers invented flying. And (laughs) he drove in a rental car up to Loch Ness uh, by appointment to see the damage and to suggest how we might deal with it. And the customer refused to let him in the door and turned him around and sent him away. 
and then proceeded to claim off us. And we said, sorry, mate, not until we've sort of seen it and no, no, our obligations to repair, all the sort of things that normally we say to customers. And uh, he, in the end, went off and claimed off his household insurance, which, of course, was new for old. They didn't ask too many questions, and they paid about £19,000 for Whoa. Uh, his claim. And then, they, of course, they subrogated against us. And uh, we told them to go forth and multiply, as you do, to subrogation claims. And I think we settled it for like a 1000 quid in the end, and off they went. And we then got a claim in the county court from him for a legal principle, which I hadn't come across before, but I've come across since, called total failure of consideration. And the allegation was that the £5,000 that he'd paid us for the move, uh, he'd got no consideration for it, he got no value from it. It was so bad that he was entitled to all his money back. And so I said, well, sorry, mate, you know, this is on. So we all pitched up at um, Hereford County Court one Thursday or Friday afternoon. On his side was a barrister. There was the solicitor, the solicitor's clerk him and his wife, who'd driven down from Scotland, a night in each direction, night in a hotel in Hereford, and then day and a bit back to up there as well. And on my side, there's me (laughs) and three removal men, right, who delivered the stuff up in Scotland and the estimator in Cheltenham who'd seen it, seen the job originally and was able to give witnesses to what the uh, customer and he had agreed. So to cut a fairly long story short, the judge listened to it all and said, yes, OK, you didn't get you know, the world's greatest job. I award you £500. Thank you very much for coming, all of you. And I said, thank you much, sir. That's fine. Because, uh, of course, he wanted 5000 And as we passed the room where the uh, other party was, we heard raised voices, the barrister being abused by the client, the solicitor being abused by the client, the solicitor clerk being abused by the client, because <laughs> five hundred pound didn't really pay his expenses, and certainly didn't go any you know, from coming down from Scotland, and certainly didn't go anywhere towards his legal costs whatsoever. I said thank you very much, uh, cheerio, <laughs> because when the claim had come in, I'd gone to our insurers and they'd said give him the five thousand quid, and I said not on your life, and they said well there's the five thousand quid, you're on your own. And so I was now four and a half thousand pounds up. <laughs> oh, nice one. <laughs> a happy ending. <laughs> from episode 16, we have Rob Horobin from John Lomas Removals and a story about a driver desperate for a number two. We used to subcontract delivery to a well-known sofa sales company. So we had a delivery and, and the driver, I was Porter at the time, he needed a number two. And it was before sat-navs and, and all the technological gadgets that we have in the cabs these days. Um, and I had an old-fashioned A to Z, navigating him in, turned into the street, and he said to me, uh, I'm going to have to go at this house. What number are we? So I've looked down at the delivery note, give him the house number. So we look it up, pulls up outside. And you know what drivers are like, on with the handbrake, off with the ignition in, in one swift movement. Um, doors <laughs> open, no, no three points of contact down the steps. He's jumped out, runs to the front door. Gives the, the door a knock. Lady answers it in a dressing gown. It was fairly early on in the morning. And he says to her, can I use your toilet, please? So he sort of goes in upstairs, goes to the toilet. I've jumped up onto the back of the truck to get the delivery ready. And the woman's husband uh, comes out to me. He says, excuse me, mate, what are you doing here exactly? I said, oh, we're delivering for SCS. 
we subcontracted them for, for busy periods. I was just thinking, you know, he's confused because we've got John Lomas removals on the side of the truck. He said to me, he says, there's a problem with that, though. I haven't ordered a sofa for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bit confused, and I go and check the paperwork, and, and sure enough, my error, I gave the driver the house number for the drop after the one we got to now. <laughs> so I make an apology to the, to the guy, and, and we have a bit of a laugh about it. Um, and he's sort of asking me some questions. And what follows is the most uncomfortable period of time where I'm trying to make conversation with him. And it just seemed like an age before our, our driver emerged back from the property, you know, finished. <laughs> so when he came down, I said to him, I just went, right, get in the truck and uh, I'll explain everything. So gets into the truck and I said to him, drive. And he said, what's going on? He said, does he not want to make that? I said, no, mate. I said, I just burst out laughing. You know, couldn't breathe. And uh, I said to him, I said, no, mate. I said, sorry, it's the wrong house. And he was absolutely mortified. <laughs> for weeks after, he was, he was sure that either SCS were going to call us with a complaint or they were going to take the number off the side of the van. And, and, and uh, I was a bit naughty because I kept, uh, I'd come out of, you know, in the warehouse or whatnot. I'd be like, oh, uh, Steve wants you in the office and so he kept coming <laughs> uh, but yeah so so that's one that sticks in uh, in my mind episode 17 gave us Danny Pollard of Pollard's Moving and Storage and a story about four goldfish my earliest stories from when I first set out in the industry and, and it has to be I think it was around the second or third move I ever did actually and, and I kid you not it <laughs> would not happen today I mean the actual day itself was around a 22-hour day to Aberdeen and back, starting at midnight. So it was a setup. So basically, <laughs> it was a real setup, I kid you not. So the evening before, we part-loaded around tea time. And then my boss, Gavin, said to me, well, don't worry, because the traffic's going to be clear. You just go into the last few bits at midnight. Okay. Well, no problem. Unbeknown to me, when we got there at midnight, there was two things he didn't tell me. Firstly, we were taking the 85-year-old lady in the truck. <laughs> not in the back of the van, I hope. Not in the back of the van. Not, although <laughs> she wouldn't shut up for nine hours <laughs> on the whole journey, so maybe she should have been strapped into the back of the van as well because that's what <laughs> was strapped into the back of the van was four goldfish. Now, hold on a minute. How, how, how did you strap four goldfish into the back of a van? With some webbing and a, <laughs> and a blanket over the top of them, and they were not happy. Oh, dear. But neither was I, and it was middle of December, so the weather was absolutely awful. It was freezing cold, and it was snowing in places on the way up to Aberdeen. So that was just the start of it, really. So... <laughs> We agreed. We didn't know. He just told us that we were like collecting the last few items. Yet the lady came in the truck with us. So we set off. And after around two hours, alarm bells were ringing a little bit because she was deeply religious. And she was just telling us all about God and how she'd found God over the years. And, and she asked us to pull over after about two hours. And we said, why? We, we don't have to stop until around four and a half hours because we've got tackle She said, no, 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 no. I've agreed with your boss that you will stop every two hours. I said, well, what for? She said, because I need to say a prayer to the fish. 
<laughs> so I looked at I looked at Barley, who was the driver at the time, and I thought, and I laughed, thinking that she was joking, but she wasn't. So we had to stop on the side of the motorway every two hours, and we had to open up the back of the lorry, and we had to say a prayer to the fourth fish. <laughs> and she made us clasp our hands. No! I kid you not, she made us clasp our hands. Can you guess what the four fish were called, though, being religious? Go for it. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. <laughs> now, this is a stitch-up, surely. <laughs> well, we thought it was a stitch-up. She said she'd, she'd had them 15 years, and I don't think they'll have lasted 15 minutes after we'd offloaded those fish. Because oh they were God. not happy in the slightest. But So it was quite a peaceful journey on the way back. <laughs> um, but we literally did stop four times on the way up to say a prayer to them. So I always remember that. That's one of my funniest. Richard Webster from Tonks Removals features on episode 21 and tells of a potentially X-rated story involving the client, the crew and a hot tub. We were doing a, a 20-foot export origin work for a client in Leicester. The guys have been there day one and they were packing the house up and they said to the guy on the job, there was husband and wife, said to the guys, um, what are you doing this evening? Are you going back to your depot? Mark and John said, no, obviously we're, we're in Leicester. We're, we're from Yorkshire, so we, we sleep in the truck and we'll find somewhere to park or something to eat. So the guy says, well, if you go down the end of my street, turn left, there's a, there's a big open area of land there. You can park the truck there. And he said, um, well, he said, me and my wife, we're, um, we're moving out tomorrow, obviously, and uh, we're going to have our last evening in the hot tub in the, in the garden. So Mark and John was like, all right, yeah, fair enough. And the guy says, well, my wife would like it if, um, wouldn't mind us if you joined us. <laughs> so Mark, Mark, Mark trying to deflect the situation said um, well I, I, thanks for the offer but I've not got my trunks with me and he says oh my wife says that uh, you two don't need your trunks <laughs> <laughs> alright oh dear yeah so uh, they made the uh, needless to say they, um, they went and parked elsewhere and they left them to their own evening in the hot tub <laughs> but, but that's happened on more than one occasion I can tell you over the years Episode 24 gave us David Trenchard from Britannia Leather Barrows, with a charming moving story with a repeat event that happened 25 years apart. I think what I'll tell you is, uh, it's, it's not so much funny, it tells you that every experience you have is, is worth having and worth remembering. When I was working for my dad, and I wasn't very old, I, wasn't, I was about 17, so I wasn't the driver. He, he used to work for local furniture shops doing deliveries particularly during the winter in january when they had their sales and there weren't very many removals available one of the local stores we did the country round and it's because their own drivers didn't like it and it was trying to find these places out in the middle of rural dorset and when (laughs) the days when we were doing it there was no sat nav no gps and very little in the way of maps so you you had to find these little villages and stuff out in the country in a restricted day in winter you know, it's dark at four o'clock. It's, it was any hard work, I've got to say. Anyway, we, we were doing the deliveries. I had this particular driver who was working with me, and we um, and I used to do the paperwork, and he obviously drove the truck. And we had a delivery, and it was um, somebody had bought one of these kidney dressing tables. Now, people today perhaps don't know what they are, but it was like a white wood dressing table, hand-painted, yep. and yep. it had a curtain around it, and you had a, a, a kidney-shaped glass top and a triple mirror. And we had this delivery to, it was a manor house in the middle of rural Dorset. And uh, so we arrive at this place 
open the big gates and as you can see the manor house long way down the gravel drive so my mate uh, carrying the, the kidney dressing table and i had the glass under one arm and the clipboard and the triple mirror under the other arm and so off we set and he shuts the gate and follows me on down the drive and we're oh it's it was about 150 yards and well over halfway and all of a sudden there was this this noise and this pack of dogs came hurtling around the corner of the house they were these german things that are guard dogs they weren't they weren't sort of border collies or anything like that these were these big brown doberman things where they are oh they word. came hurtling down this, this path towards us my mate dropped the dressing table and <laughs> ran and he ran and luckily these dogs because he ran they ran straight past me and i was stood there holding <laughs> me holding the uh the glass and the mirrors and uh, anyway he he made it to the gate and over the top you ever think it's so funny really but I wasn't funny because I was still there. And there was about seven of these dogs. And they came round me and they were making a hell of a din, growling and spittle everywhere. And I, I couldn't do anything. I just stood there. So I just walked towards the door and that's all I can do. And the lady comes out. Oh, she said, I'm ever so sorry. I knew you were coming today. I meant to lock the dogs away. I'm ever so sorry. Is everything all right? You know, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, it's all right. I've, I, I'm okay. They haven't bitten me, but they're all over me. But my mate's sort of cowering behind the gate. <laughs> anyway, so she called out a gardener or somebody who came and fetched the dogs and put them away. It was an incident that one didn't forget, you know? Absolutely. Well, here we are now in the 1980s, and this is it's a good 25 years later, and I'm doing this contract I've told you about with the departmental store yeah, yeah and i suddenly get a phone call one day from my manager on that contract saying uh got a bit of a problem one of the drivers has been badly bitten i'm i'm gonna have to go out and take a replacement driver out for the truck and pick him up and take him to the hospital and so he did it changed everything around and we carried on and i came back and then said that well you better tell me exactly what happened and so we're sitting there and he's got the delivery sheet and it's the same address. <laughs> it's the same address. Wow. And the driver is actually, he's off for about three weeks. Really? He's a married man with kids and all the rest of it. Am I going to be paying for his wages for three weeks? Anyway, I wrote to the, um, and it was the same name. It was a name that I knew and locally yep. is well known. Yep. So I wrote to the gentleman concerned and said, this had happened on a delivery in his house. This was the driver's name and his address, and this is how much he earned. And he was going to be off for about three weeks. I felt it was appropriate that he should pay for the wages, not looking for anything more, just the wages. Yeah. I had a letter back saying, "Get stuffed, you silly prat." You know, you, you <laughs> well, you know the sort of thing. Um, a posh way of saying that, you know. Yeah. And I wrote back again. I said, "I know what you have to say, and I know you say that." This has never, ever happened before. And I note that you knew we were coming and you had forgotten to lock the dogs away because somebody was coming. But I'd like to remind you, you had a kidney dressing table delivered about 25 <laughs> years ago. Your wife will tell you all about it. And it was a, a young fella that didn't get bitten, but was badly scared, as was his driver. 
And it was, oh, I should have locked them away. I'm sorry. It happened then. Now, before we go any further, I would like you to perhaps reconsider your position. (laughs) And I can tell you that I had a check back covering the man's wages. And finally, we end with another sex toy story, this time from John Burridge from Richardson Moving and Storage, who features on episode 29. This still makes me laugh today. I think all good moving stories come from a different era, don't they, when sort of anything goes. And I remember we were doing a job. We got a complaint about this, and I got to deal with it, so I found out exactly what the story was. So it was a job from Stockton to Stockton on Tees. And the woman, it was a bit of a rough house, and the woman had packed all her own goods. And she packed some of it into those lattice-sided plastic crates so you could see what was in the crate. And on the top of this crate was this box with a, what should we call it, a sex toy in. A sex toy and harness. (laughs) So it gets into the van, and there's a new lad on the job. And one of the old lads decides that he will get this out of the box. He will strap it on and he will chase the young lad around the van (laughs) with this thing flopping like an epileptic snake, honestly. And just as the woman comes around and sticks her head in the back of the van to ask if the lads lads want a cup of tea. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. I mean... (laughs) Sorting it out was a nightmare, honestly, because she went. Uh, I was fairly sure she wasn't going to go at the press. <laughs> was that her complaint then? Uh, her, she had a point in that her personal privacy had been invaded. <laughs> I nearly said, fortunately, that's all that was invaded, love, but. Um, oh, dear. Take a GDPR wasn't around at that time. No. Yeah. <laughs> I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 36 of Moving Letters. If you enjoyed this episode of Funny Moving Stories and can spare a bob or two at this time of the year, then I would be eternally grateful if you could make your way over to the Removers Benevolent Association webpage, rba-charity.org, and make a donation to such a worthwhile cause to show your appreciation. Well, that is all from me for 2021. So until next time, have an awesome Christmas, a well-earned rest, and you'll be hearing more from me and my guests in 2022.